We're in our second installment in this series on prayer. Why should we pray? How should we pray? Last week we, we answered the question, does prayer do any good? Does prayer really work? The answer to that is found in Luke chapter 11 that we discussed in our connection groups today. Is certainly prayer works so long as you work it. When you pray desperately, when you pray boldly, when you pray persistently, God responds to that. And he delights in responding to that. We're going to answer another very common question today. It's a roadblock in many people's prayer lives. And it's this question. Why isn't God answering my prayer? You say it works. Why isn't it working? I've got good news and I've got bad news when it comes to prayer today. The good news is that prayer is powerful. How many believe that today? That's the good news. The bad news is that prayer can sometimes be confusing. Think about Joshua who who prayed for the sun to stand still so they would have more daylight to conquer their enemy. It's unheard of. But God did it. Prayer is powerful. But maybe you prayed for God to heal your loved one and he didn't. Prayer is confusing. Think about the prophet Elijah who prayed and asked God to send down fire from heaven to burn up the altar of Baal and to prove that he is the one true God. God did it. Because prayer is powerful. But then you prayed for God to mend your broken family and it's still a mess. Prayer is confusing. Think about Daniel. Got thrown into a lion's den. Prayed for God to keep him safe. And God protected him. He came out without a scratch on his body. Why? Because prayer is powerful. But you prayed and have been praying for God to give you a different job. You're still stuck working at the same place with the same boss around the same people making the same wage. Prayer is confusing. You pray desperately. You pray boldly. You pray persistently. You pray knowing God can. You pray believing God will. But God doesn't. Why? Is God mad at you? Is God punishing you? Does God just not care? Why isn't he answering your prayer? I I think in scripture we can find at least eight possibilities for that question. Now, I'm not saying all of these things are going on in your life or in your heart right now if your prayers aren't getting answered. I'm just offering a handful of possible reasons to consider. See, what I'm learning is that unanswered prayer really stings. It hurts. But when we consider what God might be up to in not answering our prayer the way we want him to answer it, it can lessen some of that sting. That's my hope through the sermon today. So I want to jump right into it. we got a lot to cover. Reason number one for why God might not be answering your prayer is that maybe you're not his child. Now, we're going to go to all different kinds of scripture passages today. So you can try to go really fast in your Bible or in your device, or I put them on the screen and you can follow along that way. The first reason is maybe you're not his child. Now, it's worth asking today, Am I a Christian? 
Now, I know that's a stark question just to put out there, but it's an absolute necessary one because a lot of people throw up these Hail Mary prayers. They don't seem to get an answer and then they give up on God. The problem is that they're not praying as God's children. To them, God's like a cosmic force in the sky whose power they can tap into as a last resort. But the problem is they've never surrendered themselves to God. They've never given their lives fully to Him. Now, it's important to understand that that God's promise to answer prayers, according to John 9.31, are extended primarily to His children. He says, now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Nowhere in scripture does God promise ever to answer the prayers of someone outside of his family. That is someone who hasn't turned from their sin and surrendered to Christ. Someone who hasn't received his offer to forgive their sins based on his son's finished work at the cross. Now, that's not to say that God never answers prayers of non-Christians. Scripture gives us numerous accounts of God answering the prayers of unbelievers. It's simply to say that he hasn't promised to do that. See, just as we're all obligated to our own kids in a unique, special way, so God obligates himself to his. Now, this may strike you as exclusive, even mean, but it's actually just the opposite. God wants everyone to become his child by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many as received him, he will accept. He wants to include everyone in his family. As many that will receive his offer, whatever their background, their past, their flaws, their personal shortcomings. Friend, his offer today couldn't be more inclusive. Anyone can become his child by accepting him as Lord and receiving him as Savior. And if you do, you can then claim his promises to hear your prayers and answer them according to his will. Are you with me? This isn't a flyover point. This isn't the preacher has to talk about salvation so we can get on to the real stuff. This is the foundation of this entire sermon. I cannot assume that every one of you are a child of God. That would be irresponsible of me as a preacher of the gospel to assume that because you're at church, you know God personally. There's a lot of people that go to church every week that aren't saved. There are a lot of people that are relying on some moral code they live by or baptism as a child instead of trusting in what Jesus did for them on the cross to save them. So the first question, you've got to get settled before we go on to figure out why isn't God responding to my prayers? Is this, is God merely your creator, your judge, and a potential help in time of trouble? Or, through Jesus, has he become your Lord, your Savior, and your Father? Let's move on to the second possibility for why God isn't answering your prayer. Maybe you've never asked. Now, I I know that sounds like an almost foolish possibility. But you'd be surprised by how many Christians I've talked to who really want God to come through for them. But then I ask them, when's the last time you prayed about it? And they can't tell me. 
There's not been a long extended season of prayer on their own. They, they, they think about it a lot. They complain about it a lot. They ask others to pray for them a lot. But they've never spent an extended season of prayer about it themselves. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Matthew 7 verse 8 and 9. Look at this. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Matthew 21, 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer. Believing ye shall receive. The point is that in these verses asking comes before receiving. I got to thinking, why don't God's people ask for what's on their heart? Why don't they? I came to the conclusion that it's often because we think that what we're asking of God is either too big for him to do, too big to pray about, too impossible, or we think just the opposite. It's too small to bother him with. We may have something in our life today that falls under the category of the impossible. And by the way, on your daily prayer list, there ought to be a section called impossible. You're praying for something that is humanly impossible. But because we can't see a way for it to happen, we just resign ourselves to not praying about it in the first place. But listen, if you know scripture, you know what Jesus said. With God, all things are possible. How many miracles in our lives have we forfeited? Because we have deemed them impossible and resigned from praying about it in the first place. Then for some of us, we don't ask because we feel silly even talking to the God of the universe about something like this. In fact, we won't even bring it up in our connection group prayer time because we don't want to appear to be overly needy. It's one of those things we don't really even talk to our, our spouse about anymore or, or ask our best friend to pray about it anymore. We don't text the pastor to pray about it because it just seems so small and we're, we're learning how to suppress it. We're learning how to just carry it. We're learning how to deal with it. Well, that violates what Paul commands us to do in Philippians 4. Be careful or anxious for nothing. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Carrying even small burdens with you and not taking to God violates what the Apostle Peter said when he said, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Nothing is so small and so insignificant in our lives that it bothers God to talk to him about it. Stop just thinking about it. Stop just talking about it. Stop just complaining about it. Start asking God for what's on your heart. You simply might not be getting what you want because all you're doing is thinking about it. You're not on your knees in a posture of dependence begging God for it. Number three, maybe you have the wrong motives. Maybe you have the wrong motives. Motives matter to God big time. In fact, God's really the only one that can see and judge motives. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can discern why we're asking what we're asking for. That's why James chapter four and verse three says this. He ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask inappropriately. And here's why it's inappropriate. Because often we ask that we may consume it upon our own lust. Lust, this is a strong, strong word. In the original Greek language, it's a word with connotations of adultery. Sexual adultery. James is saying this. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers because you pray like an adulterer. 
Think about that. How might we pray like an adulterer? I risk sounding crude here, but this is the image James gives us. Imagine a man approaches his wife and says, when we married, you pledged to fulfill all my romantic needs. And what I've determined I need romantically is your friend, Susie. Can you arrange a date with her for me? I think it's safe to say that this man's not going to receive a positive answer to his request. When they married, his wife didn't pledge to be his hookup for romantic encounters. She pledged to be those things in herself. Here's the point. We pray like adulterers when we ask God for something to fulfill a need in us that we should be finding in him. When I need the job, I need the health, I need the marriage partner, I need the raise, I need the restored relationship so that I can be happy. God may be saying this, why are, not, why are you not finding your happiness in me? Friend, God isn't some kind of spiritual Santa Claus who says, you've been a good little girl this year, a good little boy this year, now tell me whatever you want. God isn't a drive-through God where you push the button, place your order, get what you want, and go on your way. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. The purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do our will. The purpose of prayer is to know God so we can do His will. Sure, God delights in hearing our request. Absolutely, God loves answering our prayers. But not primarily so we can get what we want. Instead, so that His Father can be glorified. John 14, 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask yourself today, when I pray, am I desiring God to answer my prayer primarily so He can be glorified through me and through what I'm asking Him to do in my life? Or am I desiring God to answer my prayer so that I can be happy? So my life can be easier? Or things can be more convenient? Motives matter to God. Let's move on to the fourth possibility for unanswered prayer. Maybe you haven't dealt with known sin in your life. It's a very serious point, a heavy point, but it's very possible. Isaiah speaks to this. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Got to interpret this correctly or we'll get in trouble. The word regard means to cling to something. It means to hold on to something. Here's the truth. We all sin. And we all sin more than we think we do. But there's a difference between a Christian who sins and a Christian who's clinging to their sin. A Christian who's holding on to their sin and won't let go. The Christian who's willfully And habitually sinning without remorse, without plans to stop, without any repentance whatsoever, cannot expect God to respond positively to their prayers. In fact, the prayers of the Christian who's living disobediently to God's known will, Proverbs says this, those prayers are actually an abomination to God. Can you believe that? Look at Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Again, the idea here is not that a Christian just has a bad day or commits a sin and then confesses it. 
The idea is that a Christian has knowingly and willfully turned their ear from hearing God's word and have persisted in their sin. When this kind of Christian decides to pray, if it's not a prayer of repentance, their prayer is something that God is highly displeased to hear. That could be the reason why God's not answering your prayer today. Because you've got sin in your life that you refuse to deal with. And that's a very serious thing. Notice fifth. Maybe you have a broken relationship. This is a fifth possibility. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life. There's a couple of times in scripture where Jesus implies that our relationship with other people affects our relationship with God. And inevitably will affect our prayers as well. Let me read those to you. Study with me. Mark 11, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. So we're in the context of prayer. Watch what he does next. And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any. Why? So that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. You see the correlation between your bitterness toward another individual and your relationship with God in prayer? Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, what, what should you do? Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. Here's the priority. Be reconciled first to thy brother and then come back to the altar and offer thy gift. First Peter three is super direct. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers be not hindered. I think the implications are very clear here. Your prayers to heaven will be affected by your relationships on earth. And here's why. Because your relationships with people impact your relationship with God. If you're treating your spouse unlovingly or disrespectfully, do not expect God to answer your prayers. If you're holding a grudge towards somebody at church or at work, don't expect God to answer your prayers. If your anger is out of control and you're hurting people with your words, don't expect God to answer your prayers. Teenagers, if you're treating your parents like dirt, if you're lying to them, if you're rebelling against their authority, if you're a buck in the system, don't expect God to answer your prayers. God doesn't compartmentalize like we do. We're all his kids. We're all created in the image of his son. And he is passionate about us loving each other just like through Christ. He loved us. And guess what? When we don't, he doesn't just turn a blind eye. He doesn't say what we say about our, 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 uh, our kids who fight with their siblings. He doesn't say, oh, they're just kids. Kids are going to be kids. They'll figure it out. They'll fight sometimes. He doesn't say that. God expects us to get along with each other. God expects us to love each other. God expects us to forgive each other. And when we don't, we cannot act like we're okay with God. Because you're not. You're not. Your fellowship with God is greatly hindered when your fellowship with other believers and the like is greatly hindered. Let's talk about the sixth possibility. Maybe God has a different plan. Now, this has less to do with you, more to do with God's sovereignty, God's control, God's omniscience. He's all-knowing. He sees the end from the beginning. 
God might not answer your prayers because his plans are better. Now, that's hard to swallow because sometimes what we're asking God for feels so right. And based on our perspective, it seems to be right in line with God's will and God's word. Friend, I'm not talking about asking God for something you know is not God's will. God, help me as I cook the books at work. I need your discernment here. Of course God's not going to help you with that. I'm talking about prayers that feel righteous. Prayers that feel like this is something God would want to do, like help a hurting person. Restore a broken marriage. Provide financial relief. Why doesn't God answer those prayers? Keep in mind that God's wisdom, you got to get this, is as high above our wisdom as his power is above our power. That's saying a lot because think about how powerful he is. He spoke the septillion stars of the universe into existence with a word. I can't even lift my king-size mattress over my head by myself. A queen-size, yes. King, no. (laughs) If his wisdom exceeds mine to the degree that his power does, then it makes sense that much of what I see as best for my life is going to be different from what he sees as best for my life. Where's that in scripture? Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As a father, I turn down a number of Kevin's requests. Not because I don't love him, but precisely because I do. Kevin may not understand why I don't let him stay up all night, play Xbox, and eat Cheetos. But I understand. And so I say no. He may not understand why having an iPhone at the, at the ripe young age of 11 is a really bad idea. But I understand. And I say no. Any parent understands that. There's a gap between what an 11-year-old's understanding of what's best for his life and a parent's understanding of what's best for his life. And, if there, and listen, there's an even bigger gap between what we think is best for our life and what God knows is best for our life. That's how far his, his wisdom exceeds ours. That's why we can expect that God will sometimes not answer our prayer the way we want. Tim Keller says it so well. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That's amazing. Sometimes you just have to trust that he knows more than you. I love how John Piper put it. At any given point, God is pursuing about 10,000 different good things in your life. And you're usually aware of only about three of them. Listen, God knows what's best for you. He's aware of the long-term purpose he has for us. And as a perfect father, he will sometimes say no or not yet to a really good request. Not because he doesn't love us, but precisely because he does. Leads us to the next point. Because sometimes what we're asking for is according to God's will. Meaning he wants to give it to us. He wants to make it happen. But we're not cooperating with him after we pray. 
That's the seventh possibility. Maybe you're not cooperating with God after prayer. Did you know that sometimes, maybe most of the time, the answer to your prayers is found partly in your actions, empowered by the Holy Spirit? I want you to get that. Most of the time, if not all the time, the answer to your prayers lies partly in what you do after you pray, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the widow woman in the book of Kings? She was about to lose her two sons because she couldn't pay off her bills. That's what they did back then when someone couldn't pay their bills. They didn't report them to a collection agency. They came and reported their sons to be slaves. How would that work for you today? When this widow woman reached out to Elijah, the prophet, said, I need help. Elijah's first question to her was this. What do you have in your house? Why? He wanted her to be part of the solution. She said, I got a jars. Okay, go get them and then go get all the jars you can find in the neighborhood. So she went to the kitchen, grabbed her jars, went to her neighbor's kitchen, grabbed their jars, brought them all back to Elijah. And then Elijah filled them up with enough oil to pay off all their debts. What's the point? God doesn't usually do for you what he's equipped you to do for yourself. God will empower you to do what you can. You go collect the jars. Then God will step in and do what you can't. He'll fill up the jars. God will even take what little you have after you offer it to him and he'll multiply it like he did the little boy's lunch. But you first have to be willing to give what he's already given you. Maybe the reason you aren't seeing the results from your prayer life that you want to see has less to do with God and more to do with you. Maybe it has less to do with what God isn't doing and more to do with what you aren't doing after you ask him to do what you want him to do. Question, do you want him to mend your marriage? Then do your part. And he'll do what you can't. Do you want him to give you a promotion at work? Well, do your part. It's a good idea to show up on time. It's a good idea to quit calling in sick. It's a good idea to do your job really, really well and show initiative. We can't put God on the hook for not giving us a promotion when we're 10 minutes late every day. You want God to change your child's attitude at home? Well, parent, you do your part. God will do what you can. You want to get out of financial debt? Do your part. God will do what you can. You want your, your lost loved one to get saved? Do your part. Have a gospel conversation. Live a holy life in front of them. Invite them to church. And then watch what God can do that you could never do. Save their soul. You want God to prosper your business? Do your part. Work your tail off. Treat people right. Show good customer service. Think forward. Treat your employees fair. And then watch what God will do as he honors you, as you obey the simple precepts of his word. You get the idea. We shouldn't put God on the hook for unanswered prayers in our life when we're asking him to do for us what he's equipped us to do for ourselves. The answer to your prayer more than likely is you. And then notice one more possibility today. Maybe God is trying to change you. The Apostle Paul, he was the most influential missionary in history, faced what he called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We just know why he called it a thorn, because it hurt. I don't know if it hurt him physically, emotionally, 
mentally, relationally, or a little bit of all those things, we don't know. Here's what we know about Paul. The guy was a go-getter. He was a hard-driving overachiever. Didn't seem like he needed much rest. Seems like he was physically in shape. He was incredibly intelligent. He wanted to start churches. He wanted to mentor young preachers. He wanted to write to churches that he started and encourage them. Correct them. He had so much in his heart that he wanted to do. And he said, God, this thing is, is slowing me down. Will you take it away? Three times. That's either just three individual times he prayed or three long extended seasons of prayer. I think that it's three extended seasons of prayer that Paul prayed, not just three prayers. And God answered in the same way every time. He said no. God didn't answer Paul's prayer the way he wanted him to. Instead, God told him, Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. In your weakness, in your thorn, you will find my strength. In other words, God didn't remove Paul's thorn because Paul's thorn was the means through which God wanted to change Paul. And the same is true for us. Quite often we ask God to deliver us from the very means that God wants to use to change us. It's never wrong to ask God to deliver us from suffering. Ever. You should do it. Pain, thorns, sickness, tough marriage, miserable job. Say, God, deliver me, deliver me. That's natural, and God delights in saying yes to that sometimes. However, God will sometimes answer you in the same way He answered the Apostle Paul. He'll say no or not yet. You know why? Because He's more interested in producing His strength in us than taking our suffering from us. I have found that many Christians want great faith. But they demand God remove them from any situation where they actually have to show any. Do you hear me? They want great faith. But they demand that God remove them from any situation where they'd actually have to show any. And sometimes God just won't say yes. Because of how badly he knows we need that season in our life. Hmm. Those are at least eight possibilities for why God might not be answering your prayer. But I want to say this. No matter how many times you analyze your unanswered prayer through this eight part grid. You still might not be able to understand. Why God didn't answer your prayer. And neither can I. But I can confidently tell you what unanswered prayer doesn't mean. If you're a child of God, a seemingly unanswered prayer, a no or a not yet, does not mean that you've been forsaken. You know how I know that? Because the greatest unanswered prayer in history was uttered in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. By one referred to by God as my beloved son in who I am well pleased. On the night before he died, Jesus prayed three times. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. 
And all three times Jesus was met with utter and complete silence. And an angel came to strengthen him, but his agony wasn't removed. And the plan wasn't changed. Think about this moment. The father had always responded with openness and and intimacy whenever his son called upon him. And yet here, in the moment where his beloved son needed him the most, the father turned his face away. Why? Here's why. God was doing that with Jesus. So he would never have to do that with us. In the crucifixion, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. This means that all the things I might wonder about with regard to my unanswered prayers, I never have to wonder what it means about how God feels about me. The cross shows me that any reason that would ever make God turn away from me was laid on Jesus. God placed my sin on his only begotten son and then turned away from him so that he would never have to turn away from me. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? I can't give you an exact explanation today for your unanswered prayer. But I can confidently tell you this. It's not because God has turned away from you. The cross proves that he will never do that. Because he did it to his son. Can you fathom that? He has your best interest at heart. And so when you're wrestling with him today. About saying no or about saying not yet. It's natural for that to hurt. It's natural for you to get confused. It's natural for you to get impatient. It's natural for you to start doubting. We're humans. That's what we do. If all I said to my son was no, he'd begin to doubt that I really loved him. That's what we do. That's why we have to go back to the word. We have to go back to the character of God. We got to go back to Calvary. We got to go back to the track record. It doesn't lie. The cross says he loves you. The cross says he will never turn away from you. You might not get what you want, when you want it, how you want it. That's only because God knows best. We are never wiser than God. So to quit on him, my friend, to quit on him because you're frustrated with him is in some way saying, God, I know more than you. I don't want any of his children in this room to walk away because they're frustrated. You stay with God. You keep praying desperately and persistently. And boldly, you keep knocking because he wants to answer the door. It just might not be with what you expected. And that's where it comes down to this. Back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked three times, let this cut past. But he came to this conclusion when God said no. Here's what Jesus said. Not my will, 
but thine be done. At some point, like the Apostle Paul, you've got to say, okay, I'll take your grace and I'll take your strength. And I will surrender to your not yet. I will surrender to the no's. And I will go on delighting and finding pleasure in who you are, not in what you give me. And that might be the posture we need to be in today at an altar. God, I I need to surrender to you because I, I, I am so frustrated. And if that's you, you are invited to an altar today. If you're not his child, that first point applied to you, you're invited today. Come let us show you from scripture how you can be in God's family. I'm telling you, it's the greatest family of all. It's amazing to be part of the family of God. We'd love to show you how you can know. Maybe there's known sin in your life you need to deal with. And it's that known sin, maybe even a secret sin, a hidden sin. That is causing God to turn his ear from your prayer. Come deal with that. Don't persist in that any longer. Say, God, give me grace to start fighting this sin again. Because I want you to answer my prayers. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's your closest earthly relationship or what should be your marriage. And you've just stopped fighting for a good marriage. And somehow in your mind, you've compartmentalized your marriage relationship and your God relationship. God doesn't compartmentalize those things. God says those relationships on earth affect your relationships in heaven. Not to the point where he will ever leave you or you'll ever stop being saved or you'll ever stop being loved by him. But the fellowship with him will be greatly hindered if you don't make that right. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. Amen. Let's stand to our